everyone for joining us with the Behavioural Investor once again. We have a new guest, Francesca Johnson, a behavioural scientist, joining us from the small town of London. Thanks very much, Francesca. Could you uh, please introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning. I'm a master's student at the LSC and I have a background in advertising and I'm also working part-time with a company to promote sustainable behaviours and also working at a design agency. So hopefully I can add some value on the back of your conversation you had with David two weeks ago. Will, you're with us again? Yes, I've managed to make my way over to the same uh, small town <laughs> as I continue the odyssey of trying to find a job somewhere. <laughs> Things didn't stick in Qatar, so I've got the podcast to keep me occupied. Also look for jobs and, and see where this uh, project to do with the app takes us. Absolutely, yeah. So this is the small town you've come, the city of big dream. <laughs> Yeah, it's convenient having a, a British passport. Thanks to, to my mother for being born here <laughs> a few decades ago. Yeah. So let's see what, what the opportunity turns into. I'm really excited. It's, it's great to the contrast between Qatar, uh, Serbia and Australia for that matter, and London. The, the locations where this podcast has been recorded from is vast. When I went walking around yesterday to get the, the first of two PCR tests I have to do, during yeah. quarantine, I reckon more than 10% of the cars were electric cars. There's a different feeling being here. So. The way, as you said, Francesca, how we sort of connected with you was um, through the last conversation we had with David. With that conversation, we started to talk about the development of an app and how we can modify behaviour to do good. Some of the areas that we touched on with David included behavioural modification and setting goals for yourself and thinking about possibly an app in the way that we currently invest. And I know that you wanted to touch on topics such as hyperbolic discounting and it's one that we have touched on previously but mm -hmm. do it too frequently. So it would be really great if we could touch on that again just as a refresher for ourselves. Um, but also maybe if we had some um, examples as well with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I listened to that episode and it was it was really insightful. I didn't know that we had such a language disparity with kind of delay discount and hyperbolic discounting. It essentially means that we discount the future at expense of the present. So David spoke about it last time when we're very inherently present bias. We always do things for instant gratification because that's what kind of that's what feels good. And it kind of relates as well to this cognitive dissonance that we experience when we come to investment behavior. So we want to come across as a certain way. So for my friends that invest in crypto or my friends that have got all these investment savings everywhere, I, I want to come across as I'm doing that as well. And in terms of your guys' venture, I want to say, yes, I'm going to make a billion in currency across three generations, but it doesn't actually feel good. And we just kind of go for the mental shortcut. So using behavioral science to recognize this biases, the fact that we, we have this disparity between how we want to be seen and how we how we actually act and also hyperbolic discounting how we say we'll do something but we actually don't end up doing it and we do the opposite just recognizing these and seeing seeing kind of where that difference lies just holding a mirror up to your biases can really help you recognize that and actually help you get one step closer to achieving that or becoming the person that you want to be or behaving in the way that you want to be in the future so 
I was looking at kind of our habits and the original behavior of hyperbolic discounting. And basically, we should be doing this because we should be weighing up the costs and benefits. And we know that's what we should be doing. But like I said, we've shown that we actually don't do that. We're blinded by our cognitive biases. And um, in loads of behavioral science books, I mean, I'm talking about all the lecturers at LSE, everything. In fact, the, the latest book by Dr. Grace Lorden, she uses the premise in her, this hyperbolic discounting is the premise of her new book, that it's hard to initiate change over such a long time. So you guys have set yourself up for a very difficult task because it kind of goes against everything in our internal system. But she's basically said that the most effective way of changing behavior is not to focus on the long term, but it's to focus on the medium term. And uh, she, she talks about it in kind of career progression. So it's kind of the medium version of you. But if you're kind of speak, thinking about things in goals, yes, that's great. But I think you should think about things in kind of medium goals, kind of the five year rather than the 100 year. Um, so I, I this, have a question. We'll have to change the T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about hyperbolic discounting and... Um, you know, it's very much future orientated. So it's the kind of uh, getting a reward in the future is less attractive to getting the reward right now. Does that also happen work in reverse where if you were to re have a, a reward and you received it five years ago, you value that reward less than if you were to receive that reward now? Um, is, is it always about the now is more important than some point in time off into the distance, whether it's in the future or whether it's in the past. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. And uh, it's something that I've never thought about, but I would say just from my knowledge, I would say, yes, you are right, because our memories are always distorted anyway. So all yeah. memories we have are reconstructed in line with our own biases. So, so maybe you might have won something and you have this tangible, I don't know, award, say you won an Oscar and you remember kind of, it's like that will relate to the peak end effect where you've thought about the highest bit and then the end. And that's how we remember things. And there's the memories is a different kind of ball game because we can talk mm. about kind of duration ne neglect and forecasting bias and spotlight effects. And this is all kind of things that make you distort your memory, but they are distortions. So I would say that you would value the present more than the past, but you also have that effect of nostalgia as well. So I guess it kind of depends on the memory. But one of my favorite examples, which is the reverse of what we've just spoken about is similar to this episodic future thinking, but it was more of a present visualization, which the chief technology officer of Lloyd's, who was actually previously the chief head of Google, employed in a controlled real-time experiment. And he asked Lloyd's customers to draw. He got a A4 piece of paper and he asked customers to draw what he thought their finances would look like or what they look like. He said, what do, what do your finances feel like or look like to you? And him and his team found that there were considerable visual patterns and trends that he could visually group into a set number of categories. And my combination was kind of like a volcano exploding and then I was drowning at the same time. <laughs> so I think one of them might be this, this journey and people drew themselves in, in lots of different scenarios and they kind of had pathways kind of going each way, kind of route A, B, C, D. 
And um, I think that, that sort of what he got from that was people view their financial well-being as a journey. They view it as key milestones that they need to hit. And relating to the gold gradient effect, it's kind of he translated that into a uh, leave home, go to uni, buy my first house, get married, have a baby, uh, kids go to university. And he's made this uh, whole journey within Lloyd's where people will save throughout these key milestones. And as a result of that, I've been seeing the bandwagon effect of loads of financial organizations and apps capitalizing on the same strategy and um, in, from advertising as well, including Nat West's existing campaign at the moment. I don't know if Wilfred, you, you might have seen it. It's on all the time on TV. And it's, um, it's using this messaging, which is this clever use of today and tomorrow. So it kind of, it looks at your, it's got three versions of the same man. And one man is asking about what color he should paint his walls. And then there's the yesterday version. And then there's the tomorrow day version and they're all talking to each other. And the, it sounds, it sounds quite silly, but it's actually backed up by behavioral insight. And you can't, you've got kind of the yesterday man that doesn't agree with the future and the present man. And then you can see how they kind of interact, but it's kind of save more so you can do more tomorrow or something. I can't remember the exact phrase, but it is looking at how you need to sacrifice. And there is an element of sacrifice when we, talk about investing because you are giving something up that you don't actually see which I think is actually just really painful to get my head around but this kind of delayed discounting this hyperbolic discounting is such a key aspect of it and it's thinking about clever cues messaging design aspects that you can use to to overcome that and um, this intervention could go in hand this messaging intervention could go in hand with prompts so when you prompt someone at the right time without desensitizing them, and it depends on context. And in terms of academic studies, there have been a lot of tests where to encourage pension savings. What they've done is they've taken a photo of these participants and then they've showed aged protest embodiments of their future self to the extent that this mirrored image was a vividly imagined future self who had the effect of saving more money for the future and it wasn't it, what this effect was significant so it means that it could be applied in kind of other other areas but i don't know if that's that's something you probably wouldn't want to put in your app i was thinking that that project or pension plan is that was that a government one or was it uh, some private system it was a, i think it was a private company did it as a test in collaboration with the university i, I believe but okay that because they sound like they've addressed the problem we're trying to, to solve they're looking at it i guess on the scale of one lifetime we're mm-hmm. just yeah the, the only reason it, it, in a way i freely admit that the project we're undertaking here uh, maybe the best way to put it is it's deliberately provocative yeah uh, and uh, there's nothing wrong uh, with being pro- provocative yeah I, I love the way that you put it Ben uh I think in in the in the first interview with you where you said you know you need to have high in a sense ridiculous goals because you know for goodness sake we li- we're trying to live life here yeah yeah and so the, we've kind of proceeded then from because a billion dollars is it's 
it's more than life changing. It's it's unimaginably incredible what you could do. I, we started a, a little Substack newsletter because that's the cool thing to do these days, at least on FinTwit. Um, and I, I tried to sort of, you know, calculate or, or characterize what you could do with a billion dollars. And it was things like 16 Falcon 9 launches with SpaceX. It was funding a, a, a mission to go and get a, a sample from an asteroid. It's truly epically awesome, the sort of things that you can do. So then, you know, basically the, the premise of this investigation over these, these, these episodes and interviews is to try to understand why us little humans, in the face of this tremendous power and opportunity that we could get through applying this compounding system over this long time, we fumble around, we fumble the ball based on what you've been saying that fundamentally it's about hyperbolic discounting or delay discounting. There have been efforts by banks and also obviously pension schemes um, have also tried to address these problems. So uh, to me, this what you've said is crystallizing the issue here. We need to solve the hyperbolic discounting problem. And basically you, you're reinforcing what David said. We need to cut it up into small, as he said, small manageable briefs. You're saying five years and well, we need to use some sort of Skinner box, portable Skinner box to, to stimulate people. You need, you need to use uh, the more high frequency messaging and stimulus uh, language that um, us little humans in our savannah-based uh, evolution respond to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. You've got, you've got the ingredients to make a really effective recipe here. Yeah, I mean, I can go, I, I think if I speak about financial organizations that have used behavioral insights, they are doing I mean, they are make, covering so much ground, especially in the UK. I mean, Monzo, that bank is just making like clear headway. Uh, it kind of started as a challenger bank and now it's kind of one of the main key players. And I know that kind of NatWest and Lloyds, they've kind of been looking to Monzo to employ the same techniques. And also Plum, which is has been my lifesaver, um, because Plum is basically an app for your financial health. It helps your financial well-being. It makes you understand things more. I'm basically very risk averse. So investing for me is a very risky situation. And that's kind of, that relates to behavioral science, the core tenant, which is prospect theory and how our emotions get caught up in how we make risky decisions and how we, we value losses twice the times as we appreciate gains. So that is that is a massive thing about investment decision is is prospect theory and if you address kind of this loss aversion sorry what was prospect theory so prospect theory is is basically one of the main theories of behavioral sciences it basically covers loss aversion anchoring and the probability effect and it's kind of these three biases that make up prospect theory but in short it's basically how humans make decisions that involve a degree of uncertainty so this this really relates to investment decisions and it basically affects how we are emotionally invested in our decisions so loss aversion is something that you definitely need to cover when you when you embark on your design journey which is which is basically we 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 value losses twice the amount as we appreciate gains so say you found 10 pounds on the floor you'd be like oh nice one but if you lose 10 pounds you're going to be double devastated and that's yeah. kind of that's just how we think and and it's it does depend sometimes but it's, it's that's 
normally just the way it goes inherent in our in our biases with prospect theory if you you also have an anchoring reference point which might not make me want to invest in something uh, if I've got a strong reference point say I had a really substantial amount of money in the bank and I've also got this kind of I could make this investment decision that could I could potentially lose it all which will make me feel double devastated and I've, I've lost out twice as much but also I've I wouldn't be at that reference point that I had and it's kind of you've we Behavioural in behaviour, we have these mental shortcuts and our brain is so lazy and we don't want to work hard. So we don't like thinking about things. And we're also, we're also the majority of us are very financial illiterate. We don't really understand. So we just kind of use these kind of mental shortcuts and put things in boxes that just to make sense to us. And then we don't look at them again. And with prospect theory and anchoring, if you, you you'd kind of be like, well, I had a hundred thousand pounds. And if I put 50,000 in investment, I, I don't want to do that because I won't have that 100,000 well-rounded number that I already had. And that makes you emotionally invested to that original amount, which makes you not want to part uh, with an investment decision. So it's also finding clever kind of design or insight that you can overcome loss aversion, I think. And yeah, I think that some some of the apps, I think, are trying to address it by the regular prompts and kind of reassurance. Mm. And I think, so what, um, what does Plum do exactly? Like, it sounds like Plum and the generic app that, that we're sort of talking about here, it, it's kind of like a coach. Absolutely. So, so basically, I think the baseline is it's an algorithm. And they did a study and the effect was significant that people trust something with that has the word algorithm in more than a human. And <laughs> this, was, this was recent. This was, I think it was, I think if it was a dating app, they were, they were saying, oh, this dating app is an algorithm. It will find you your perfect match. Or this dating app has been created by humans. It will find you your perfect match. And it, the, the effect was significant that people trusted an algorithm more just just because this was all hypothetical, just because it had the word algorithm in it. And, and it makes sense because an algorithm, we kind of, we've got used to them. We've been using them for about 60 years now with computers and an algorithm will give you the same stimulus over and over again. So you will get the same output, which can make you more confident in your decision and which is good for investment decisions. And um, taking an optimistic point of view, if you were, if you were a lawyer, wouldn't you want the most accurate decision-making tool available to you that cuts out all of the irrelevant data and helps you make the best judgment? So um, with Plum it and Monzo, uh, the algorithm helps because it helps tailor to the context of your decision-making. And that is the main, main issue we find in behavioral sciences. Um, one of my lecturers is in my head now. Context matters. And any decision you make, it will never probably be the same in another context because you might be hungry. It might be really hot at that time of day. All these kind of variable factors that you, I can see you're kind of like <laughs> confused, but there, there's so many studies where more sentences- I should have brought a notepad. I'll listen to this again and note down all the things. You are giving us a recipe. <laughs> more, more um, there was a, huge study in uh, the states where they found out that um, judges who 
judges just before lunch sentenced more people just because they were hungry. So it's kind of like that thing. There's a, you can make you can make so many decisions based on loads of factors, but with an algorithm, it's the same output every single time. And it is kind of this coach that this AI brain saving tool friend that kind of can help you just make these quick, fast decisions that you don't want to because you don't want to think about it. And in the context of investment, uh, an algorithm can pro provide you with pro risk or risk averse information, depending on you and your context without their biases getting in the way. Um, so, yeah, I know you spoke to me on Twitter about using your emotions rather than being harnessed by your emotions, which I thought was a very, very poetic way of putting it. And using AI and algorithm is definitely a tool that can be creatively applied. Well, actually, my I did a psych degree. My yep. honours thesis was actually about the impact of emotions during negotiations. It's funny how, you know, somehow it all maps onto what I've ended up yeah. podcasting about. Absolutely. Um, pass out for yourself. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's wonderful doing these, these interviews to engage again with psychology. It'd be interesting to hear about your interest too, the psych, Ben, because I know you you studied it. I, I just want to bring it back to some of the comments that Francesca made and the app. So, I mean, if we were to apply some of these to the app, could you have an app that has an algorithm that is somehow related to the initial inputs that someone signs up to the app with? So they may say rate their level of risk appetite, they rate the types of investments that they're interested in, their ethical um, criteria as well. And then at a regular basis, this algorithm identifies the top three investments that meet that criteria and it prompts that person just after they've had lunch to say, we found these, it's a good time for you to invest. And that keeps the continual cycle going. Someone's well fed, they're more likely to possibly invest with a small change. Um, I'm just wondering yeah, what sort of thing we could do. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so genius. And this is a thing that Plum is already doing. So kind of the thing you said they about uh, having lunch. I mean, when it's raining, they automatically save more money in my account as rainy day savings because I'm not going out anywhere, which I just think is genius. It's so simple, but I mean, I've saved probably about 50 quid and well, May, I've probably saved about 200 pounds because it's raining every day. Just all of these kind of automatic enrollments, these default things that just make it easy for the user to, to not have to think about anything. I mean, there's Plum yeah. automatically takes money out as soon as I get paid. So it knows my payday, it assesses my, bank account it can see how much money is going on my energy bill that it actually gave sent me a real-time notification when my energy bill went out saying your energy bill has gone out if you switch to this energy provider you could save x amount in one year wow. and I, I it was just i clicked in three clicks i switched energy providers just signed up and i've saved myself over 100 pounds a year or something and they do different things like 52 week challenge. How many, how much can you save in a year? Um, it, it, as, as I said, it's linked to your bank. So it gives you a full financial diagnostic of kind of what you're spending on and um, if there's a budget tracker. And then in terms of investment, this is the new feature that they've just launched, which is 
targeted for beginner investors. So like me, it makes it really, honestly, sorry to go off on a tangent, but I, I didn't know I don't invest. I think my dad has kind of all my investments and I don't even know what he's doing with them. So what I did was, um, and you guys can do this too, is if you go on Google, you can type investment is, and then it will give you like a quick kind of what people think of investment of investing. And um, I actually wrote some of these down. Um, I'm going to do that right now. You can. The first three were investment is gambling. Investing yep. is a waste of time. Investment is a long-term game. True. Uh, investment is easy. That was an anomaly. Uh, investment is stressful. Investment is addictive. Investing is too risky. So I viewed that as I was definitely in the majority rather than the minority. Yeah, the, the last one here, the bottom of the list is investing is the key to wealth. Yeah. It's interesting that that's the, the, the last entry. And the first yeah. one is investing is like gambling. Yeah, interesting yeah. for me. It is really interesting. I do that kind of for loads of stuff I don't really know, uh, have much self-experience. I've got the theory, but I don't have the self-experience. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to what I was saying. As I was saying with the investing, so they've recently started this um, kind of part of the app for beginners. And it's basically the first user interface, which I think I sent you, is it shows you a visual projection of how much you could make if you did a monthly deposit and you can change the deposit. And there's an intuitive slider bar which can move up and down as it shows you your potential gain in real time. Um, the second thing it does straight away is it shows you that it's automated. So once again, backed up by the algorithm, which I think is key to know that your money's in better hands and it's all to make you feel a sense of relief and as you argue into thinking kind of this this AI is doing bits with the bank and finally uh, the main one which is probably related to your psychology degree it uses psycho targeting and prospect theory based on risky investments so they've made kind of 10 bundles of various combinations that appeal to psychometrics such as green investments or British investments uh technology investments so kind of you know if, if you're what you're kind of interested in and then they've done a, a riskometer of how much how risky yeah. it will be the number and, of chilies. yeah the number of chilies exactly <laughs> so if you're pro-risk and you want to invest in technology and startups then you choose that one and then you can choose how much you want to invest and it will tell you how much you'll get obviously that will be larger than say if a risk averse person invested in green technologies and that was only two chilies and they got a smaller but more consistent investment over time i mean the risk thing i thought was pretty genius because it wasn't just about interest it was kind of um boys are actually genetically more pro-risk from evolutionary science and women are risk averse so i thought this just made sense anyway but yeah, it's um, in terms of kind of tech tech companies that are implementing these behavioral strategies, it's it's definitely growing, and um, uh, that there's there's just so much you can go with it, and so many places you can go with it. So, Plum actually sounds like the app. It sounds like the idea that we had. Yeah. We don't do anything, Will. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I, I was thinking, no, no, no. 
this is a fast, this is a star business. So it looks like a fast growing niche, right? We just need to uh, beat the competition and, and lead the niche. This was another episode uh, where we talked about the star principle from Richard Koch, uh, Francesca. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it's it's not a blue ocean. Um, it will turn into a red ocean as we we, we kill that other uh, shark. <laughs> I love that. I lo- love that. Honestly, these apps are definitely growing. I wonder if Monzo will do one. I mean, they use behavioral sites to help people just keeping track with spending, um, the fact that kind of like the old dinosaur banks, the traditional kind of four are looking to Monzo and Plum for these insights and working kind of with the behavioral insights team in the UK government to help people get a better understanding of their overall financial health is, yeah, it's growing. So I definitely think that this is this is some, something that you can take bits, but also put your own spin on it. And then it could be so different from all the insights that you learn in this podcast. Great. It sounds like we've got the green light from nothing less than a LSE behavioral scientist. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I guess that's probably the half hour, but if I could squeeze in one, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit pessimistic, but I, and I, obviously it's good to finish things on a high note, but at the same time, I think it's important. So better or worse. <laughs> and it, it relates to, to something that we talked about in, uh, have talked about earlier in, in the podcast. What about self-mastery? I know that sounds like a seven habits of highly successful people, cringeworthy comment, but I, I was just thinking if we have, if we're driven by, by this and mm. it's got an algorithm and essentially it turns into an oracle for our lives, that almost, it almost seemed like we're left as these little urge-driven creatures. I'd like to hear about if there's, if there's much discussion in behavioral science about improving our ability to direct ourselves. Yeah, well, one of the main arguments is I've probably talked about algorithms so much, but that is definitely not, that's definitely not a core tenant of behavioral science. And they, they, we, we think, we talk about it kind of as, you know, it kind of makes us feel safe, but self-mastery is, is about recognizing our cognitive blind spots and it is about recognizing our own biases to make us understand and kind of put a mirror in front of ourselves and saying okay I'm aware that I do this and how do I change it and focusing on working ourselves and that definitely comes before any AI powered app and you know kind of when you do become self-aware of I spend too much money on the present at the expense of the future I need to be aware that I value losses twice as much as I value gains. It's, it's, it is putting a mirror up to yourself and recognizing where your faults are as a person, even though there are there is some literature coming out saying this, this literature has been out for a while and people aren't recognizing it. I do, as an optimist, feel like this is the direction that we are going in and we can work on ourselves and self-mastery should definitely be placed above computer-generated Right. So I think this is how we can dominate the niche. We can, the messaging, because one of the topics for us to cover was uh, marketing messaging and behavioral noise. We haven't covered that either. But I think a way to dominate the niche would be to take an advocacy approach where we, we say to people, all these other behavioral investing and behavioral design apps, they just try to take over 
your life, what we will do is we'll show you those techniques. We'll be the magicians that tell you the trick behind all the other magicians' tricks. And we'll offer you the chance to be responsible for improving your own life. We'll give you the first principles that other apps and banks exploit. I think that's great. I think you've definitely differentiated yourself. You can create a strong foothold and positioning as as a new approach and you see this happening and you'll be doing it before the market gets so saturated before the banks do it which they can do it so easily this will be you'll be the kind of rebels of investment <laughs> you need to find the motives of change by fusing facts and feelings and an ai can't have feelings so if you fuse facts and feelings i think you, you know choosing technology and your and emphasizing self-mastery you can achieve your goal that, that's a, a great way to wrap up, I think. Um, Francesca, I'm not sure whether you're, you're looking for people to get in contact with you or not, or, but if people wanted to, did you want to give any Twitter feed or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So um, my Twitter is Francesca Chess, like the board game. Great. We'll put that in the show notes. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. It was so lovely to be here and wishing you all the best of luck. I will be an avid follower of your journey. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see where you guys end up and what you do with it. Yeah, similar to David, let's stay in touch. It sounds like success here involves unleashing a team of behavioural scientists. So we've found another one. <laughs> Great to meet you. Brilliant. It was lovely to meet you. Have a good day in London and have a good evening. 